0: Hey there, so glad you're joining us online today. You know, the last few weeks have been unplanned and interesting times for many, but that's where God's glory is often seen the most in our lives. During the uncertainty that faces our world, God is certain, and it's been a joy to watch the church rise to the occasion. And not just this church, but the church universally. It's been such a special thing to be a part of and to watch, to watch what God's doing through his body and through the church for him to take what was intended for bad and to use it for so much good. You know, when life returns to what we once knew as normal, which it will, let's, let's take confidence knowing that uh, this this season of life, this this moment in time has only made the church and us individually stronger. That's what God's Word tells us, and God's Word is proving itself to us. As Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God's got this. You know, Corey Tinboom said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. In the uncertainty, God is certain. Hey, take a moment and uh, look out one of your windows nearby. If you can, find a tree outside. If, if you're not near a window or near a tree, that's all right. I just want you to to picture in your mind a tree that you're familiar with. Maybe it was a tree that you once climbed as a kid and fell out of and broke your arm. (laughs) Maybe it's one that's going to soon blossom with flowers and leaves as spring is upon us. Maybe it's one of those trees that you grab some shade under during a hot summer day. As you look out or you think about that tree, I really just want you to take it in to examine the trunk of the tree, to, to think about the base and its roots that must dive deep into the ground. Now, as you look up at the branches and you see that main trunk move from large branches to smaller ones and how the structure of the tree forms. Trees are one of God's great masterpieces. You know, In the book of Genesis, as God is creating, he looked down at the design and he saw that it was what? Good. God created trees with a main trunk that branches off into, well, branches. And those branches carry sap, which is kind of like the tree's blood. It's nutrients to every part of the tree. And on a tree with fruit, that then gives life to things like apples or oranges and more. You know, the tallest tree in the world is a coastwood, coast redwood tree. It's located in a remote part of the Redwood National Park in California. Uh, There's a name for that tree. It's hyphyrion. It stretches some 380 feet into the air. Just to give you a little bit of reference, that's that's a 35-story building. You know, as a church, Jesus is our divine tree, and we are the branches. There's similar imagery that's given to us by Jesus himself in John chapter 15. As we get started today, I want to read to you from God's word found in John 15. So if you got your Bibles at home, why don't you turn over to John 15 with me? It says this, starting in verse one, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that, that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. You know, when we read God's word, it's so important for us to understand what the truth meant to the original audience before we can fully understand what it means to us. You know, when Jesus said, I am the true vine, that was loaded with meaning. So so you know, throughout the Old Testament, um, prior to Jesus' time, the imagery of the vine was often used in relationship to God's people. Now, the Old Testament, when any time this imagery was used of that vine, it was used to talk about the Israelites and this relationship with God. And catch this, every time it was used in the Old Testament, it was used negatively. In the Old Testament, when Israel was talked about as a vine, it was always then connected with a declaration that they did not bear fruit, and therefore the wrath of God was coming. So so when somebody used the imagery of of the vine, it was almost like a pronouncement of judgment. But here's Jesus, and he enters the scene, and he does what Jesus is so good at doing, right? He flips the script and turns it upside down, and he says, I am the true vine. In short, he is saying, I'm doing what you cannot do, I'm being what you have not been able to be. And that is the good news of Jesus in a nutshell. That is the gospel, right? Jesus is taking that imagery that showed God's people their failure, and he's saying, I've got this. That's what just happened when Jesus said, I am the true vine. He's telling those people in that day, and now he's telling us today, that you've not been able to be the, be the fruitful people that you've called to, been, to be. It's really echoing a passage from Isaiah 64 where it says, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. But when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's saying, I've got you. He's redeeming the imagery of judgment and failure and our shortcoming. It was imagery that said, no matter how hard they worked, no matter how hard they tried, they always fell short. Jesus is stepping into that mess their mess, and now our mess, that our sinfulness has broken us, and that as much as they have tried, as as much as you and I try, what? We we fall short. We can't live up to it. And Jesus is saying, don't be anxious. Don't you worry. I know you're going to fall short, but guess what? I got you. I am the true vine. God desires fruitfulness, and you've been unable to live up to that, but I will. So what does that mean for you and I? Well, it means this. Jesus is all you need. Catch what verse 5 of John 15 said again. It says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Your standing with God is not determined by good works, but is determined by your relationship with your connection to Jesus. The Bible indicates your need for Jesus like this. There is a God who's altogether holy, who is perfectly just, and who declares that he is going to judge the world and hold every human being accountable for their life. Now that God who is perfect and holy requires us to live a a perfect life, to live in perfect obedience. So let me say it like this. If you are perfect, you're good. Like you don't need Jesus. You don't need to to believe in Jesus as the answer. If you're just and holy and you make all the right decisions with your life, you have no problem. But guess what? Here's the problem, right? It's simply this. If God is just and requires perfection from me and from you, and we come up short, just even one little mark short, if we don't bear the fruit that he wants, well, he's going to deal with us according to his justice which we can look forward to in the form of a deserving punishment in our future. You see, the only way we can escape the punishment is through a savior, and that savior is Jesus. Now, some may say that, well, you're just trying to preach Jesus as a, as a ticket out of hell. Like, you're just trying to escape that eternal punishment. Can I say this for a moment? <laughs> you're right, I am. Now, now this, is, this is not only the only reason I tell people about Jesus, but man, it sure is a heck of a reason, isn't it? You know, in today's culture, many don't truly believe that God is going to hold them accountable. Like like we want to believe that God is saying, live the way that makes you feel good. You do you, right? That God doesn't require this perfection. So when we take this you on God, we don't feel the weight of our problem. We don't feel the weight of our sin, nor the threat of his judgment. So Jesus warned of this type of attitude. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 3, he says, you say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked, that you are not connected to the true vine, and thus you are not bearing fruit. But as harshly as he says this, he then reminds us of his love and how he desires to save us. He goes on to say, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I'll be their connection to God, their trunk of the tree, their vine. I will bring the nourishment to the branches and if they just simply remain in me, I will remain in them and God will remain in us. But that takes a connection with that true vine. The first people who heard this had a problem. We have a problem. You have a problem. I have a problem. It's sin. We're still sinners. And for that sin, there will be consequences. God will judge, but Jesus will save. The question is, who do you say Jesus is? I mean, how do you determine that question? Because how you determine that question leads to your connection. Now, you may say that Jesus is a fraud, and if you do, you can step back and you can look at Christians, you can look at people like myself, and you can, you can laugh. You, you may say Jesus is a freak, that he was some ordinary man that was born the illegitimate child of some woman, and then dude went crazy and tried to say he was God and said a lot of crazy things and got a lot of other people to follow along after that, and there's still some people that believe that to be true, and you can step back and you can look at me like I have four heads. Or you can say Jesus is a friend, a friend that gave up everything so that everyone could have everlasting life. All they have to do is trust Him to be the vine that brings the branches life. Yet when the branch is connected to the tree, uh, it should always remain alive. You know, last week we looked at John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, Jesus is the light of the world. And if we know Jesus as the light of the world, then what should we do? We should reflect that light to the world. Just the same, if Jesus is the true vine, then what's that mean for us? It means we need to be connected. The branch that is not connected to the vine is what? It's dead. And the dead branch produces what? Nothing, no fruit. So if you are a believer in Christ, you are called to produce fruit, but that fruit is based on what? On your connection. Chuck Swindoll, who is a pastor and leader, said it like this, He said, Jesus never commanded believers to produce fruit. Fruit is the purpose of the branch, but it's not the responsibility of the branch. The branch cannot produce anything on its own. However, if it remains attached to the vine, it will receive life-sustaining sap, nourishment, and strength, everything that it needs. You see, we need to be connected to Jesus. Faith is not a do-more checklist. It's a connection at the core. Verse four of that passage in John 15 says says this. It says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, right? It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. How are we to remain in Jesus? How are we to stay connected to Jesus? First things first, I believe is this. We need to slow down. Well, I would have never asked for our current situation for our society. I realize that God is redeeming it for good, right? In light of this world pandemic, I believe God is teaching us something. He's teaching us to slow down. Have you ever realized what that fast-paced, go, 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 go mentality does in your life, right? You might not see it at first, but, but the speed that we often run at in this modern world, right? It's massively destructive, isn't it? Our hurry causes us to, to treat our children like they are a burden rather than a blessing. You know what I'm talking about. It's, it's time for the game. You're trying to get out the door for, for school in the morning. You're running late for church service, right? And suddenly you lose it, right? You say, speed up, you holler to your daughter. What's taking you so long, you yell at your son. Get your act in gear, right, you mumble under your breath. How might this affect those little lives in the future and how we interacted with them in the midst of our hurry? But as well, it causes a disconnect in any and all relationships. You know, according to recent studies, Americans work massively more than any other nation, 137 hours more a year than the average Japanese worker, some 260 hours more than the average person in Britain, uh, some 499 hours more than the typical French worker. And our hobbies, you add those in, then you add the chores at home, you add the endless amount of extracurricular activities, right? And you see that this can easily become the root of our relational disconnection, which lends more and more to things like divorce, domestic violence, and more. We're so busy that we are willing to compromise those we love most. And along the way, we often are willing to compromise ourselves. This disconnect, this hurry, it's caused anxiety disorders, and depression. It's caused all kinds of mental health diagnosis. You know, year after year after year, America is seeing these diagnoses go up and up and up. And I believe it's because we're moving faster and faster and faster. It's been said, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. What would change if you slowed down? If you took a, took a deep breath, if you enjoyed the beauty around you, You had some some time just to be quiet. Maybe you sit on the front porch or you were intentional with your daily conversations and just simply lived in the moment instead of planning for the next one. Maybe this season is teaching you that. Now I know for for me personally, it's been a great reminder. It's reminded me of a situation uh, from the prophet Elijah's life. He's told to go and stand on the mountain in 1 Kings chapter 19 as the presence of the Lord was about to pass by, right? The presence of the Lord was about to come by. So that means he was about to connect with God. It says at first, a great and powerful wind tore by, but no God. Then the earthquake shook the ground, but no God. And then a fire burned, but still no God. But then it says this, a gentle whisper came and there was God. God is not in the carelessness of our hurry, but in the carefulness of our connection. You see, when you slow down, you often become more attentive and deliberate. And with that, you begin to recognize the importance of the small things. Maybe for you in the season of social distancing, you found that your relationships have actually been strengthened. You've enjoyed just playing with the kids, making dinner with a loved one, sitting around the kitchen table for a meal together. Maybe you've had one of the best conversations you've had in a long time across FaceTime. And I hope, I hope in this season, you've allowed yourself to draw closer to God. I say say all that to say this. If we don't first slow down, the next information makes no sense. Just like Elijah, we will not see God in the chaos, right? We'll see him in the quiet. So how do you remain in Jesus and stay connected? Yes, you should prioritize time in his word and hide it in your heart and pray regularly. Yes, we should look forward to the day where we are going to connect again with other believers in the church, in the church building, that is. These are core spiritual disciplines. But if these are done solely as a checklist, right? If these are done solely as something to just go, you know, amongst all the other hustle of life, you're, you're missing the point, right? The goal of reading God's word or of praying or of going to church is to connect, to remain in him as he what? As he remains in you, to be connected. And that connection what? It takes time. You know, these are, uh, these are pruning shears. Um, the primary purpose of pruning shears is to remove dead and diseased or damaged stems um, from uh, a bush or a plant. It's important to remove parts of the plant that have died because uh, those dead stems often attract unwanted insects and they harbor disease. Uh, A good gardener knows how to use these. I'm not a good gardener, so I don't really know how to to use these. But pruning shears are are helpful to improve uh, plant health and to prevent undesired growth. And ultimately, they're used to keep the garden and the plants healthy and looking their best. Take a look back at the text because we can expect pruning, Jesus is the true vine. He is what we could not be. So we should expect to be pruned. Look what it says in verse 2 of this passage. It says this: He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus is the true vine and we are to remain in him, to be connected And a part of that connection is for the gardener, God, to prune the branches, us, so that we then produce the best fruit, God's good work to others. We must be pruned. You know, Jesus tells us this in John 10.10. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God has intended for us to experience his splendor and wonder in some of the most powerful ways. And as we do that, we will then ooze out (laughs) to others uh, whom we influence. The life that we have been given is to bear fruit. Galatians 5 speaks of that oozing out as the fruit of the Spirit. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I get it. For most of us, as we read this passage of Scripture, you're probably thinking, yeah, I'm doing great at that. Perfect, got it done, I figured it all out. Not, right? I mean, none of us are truly living this all out. We're lying to ourselves if we are saying that we we do all these things right. Every one of us, um, either this side of the camera or that side of the camera, right? Me included, right? Uh, We're not doing this all so well. Now, hopefully along the way, we've made some improvements, right? You know, it's my prayer each day that I become a little more like Christ. The big churchy term for that is sanctification. That is where in God's kindness, he prunes us and he grows us and he allows us to produce more and more fruit as we become more and more like him. It's important to understand that Jesus is the perfection of those things, of that fruit of the Spirit. He's perfect love and perfect joy. He's perfect peace and perfect patience, perfect kindness and goodness and faithfulness, perfect gentleness and self-control. And if Jesus is the perfection of these things, he is the perfect one to prune us into the, into the fruit-bearing followers He's called us to be. We are a work in progress. It's all right to admit that. This side of heaven, that's always going to be the case. You aren't supposed to have it all figured out, but you are called to let Him work it out in you, to prune away the areas of your life that aren't bearing fruit and to shape you daily into the fruit-bearing men and women of God. You know, Pruning at first seems overwhelming and maybe even painful. But when you really think about it, it surely should be encouraging to us. Think about the fact that we are literally being shaped personally by the God of the universe. I found through the years that oftentimes for me, I grow in the most difficult moments of my life. I pruned the most in those seasons. When I went through a season of anxiety a few years back, something I would really never wish on anybody, and I never would wish to go through it again myself. God used that season and pruned me, and I'm better for it. When my wife and I lost multiple children to miscarriage, our hearts broke in that season, and there were questions and wonders. But God pruned back some of the shortcomings and allowed us to experience joy and peace and bear much more fruit. Maybe for you, it's a season of depression. It's a season of job loss. Maybe it's a death in the family or a court battle. Maybe it's fear or anxiety or maybe even a virus that demands time away from the normal, which causes you to think more about your lack of control and your mortality. But God does, what God does so well. He flips the script and he uses these moments to prune you, to strengthen you, and to see you come out stronger on the other side. You know, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says it like this. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. We are to be pruned. But that pruning is like God working on his hot rod in the garage, right? Preparing it to win the big race. Like God molding out the clay pot in order for it to serve its best of purposes. Like God, remodeling the old house so that it can see its true beauty once again. And as we are connected to the vine and pruned, we become difference makers. Catch verse eight of our passage. It says this in, in verse eight. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. You know, we are called to be The difference to make a difference. Look, Jesus didn't come to tell us the answers to the questions of life. He came to be the answer. We make the difference because He made the difference in us. You know, as followers of Christ, we should believe if we exalt Jesus, if we make Him the central point of our life, that others are going to be drawn to that. Right? That's the fruit-bearing side of that. That people are going to see us and they're going to want to become like us. They're going to be influenced by us. Remember the Great Commission, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. You know, as a believer, you become a part of the church as soon as you trust Christ. The church has the responsibility of not only calling men and women to the saving grace of Christ, but then helping them to transform into the disciples that Jesus is calling them to be. You see, God is not solely calling us to be in the life-saving business, but instead in the life-training business. We are called to be, as the scripture says, the salt and light of the world. And our fruit is a testimony to our discipleship. You see, we should be rooted. We should be connected to Christ and bearing fruit. And that fruit then illuminates the good news of him as Savior to others. And more and more people are drawn to him. You see, the life-saving business is great. I I personally love some of my greatest moments is to see people that I've been praying for or encouraging or sharing the word of Christ with, to see them come to know Jesus, to recognize their sin and to, to give their life to Christ. But you know what's even more enjoyable? It's seeing somebody who was lost be found, and then that found person begin to seek out the lost, to see people produce fruit, become difference makers. You know, around here at Bethany, we say it's our mission to get lost people saved, saved people pastored, pastored people trained, and trained people mobilized to reach the loss. Yet none of this will happen if we are not first connected to Jesus. If you miss Jesus, you miss everything. So we believe that Jesus is the true vine. And if Jesus is the true vine, then Jesus is all we need. That was his promise. Jesus promised us a great deal of success if we make him all that we need. John 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, I in you, you will bear much fruit. May we live in such a way that those who know us but don't know God will come to know God because they knew us.